Welcome to the Behind the Surface podcast presented by the International Surface Fabricators Association. ISFA exists to serve industry professionals involved in the fabrication of manufactured surfacing materials. With each episode, Behind the Surface inspires fabricators to take their business to the next level. Now with your host, Nancy Bush. Hi everyone, I'm Nancy Bush with ISPA and I'm here today on the Behind the Surface podcast with my friend Ed Young. Ed is the Fabricator's Business Coach and many of you know him, but today we're talking about the important subject of pro tips for SOP process improvement. Um, Ed, I'm super excited about this and you know folks that are listening in are going to have the opportunity this week you'll be at coverings on the 18th at 145 and again on the 20th at 245 on the fabricator stage. So I'm excited to see you there and then our next big ISFA event coming up is the Anaheim Roundtable May 10th and 11th so check that out too. But Ed to get us kicked off. I was reading this the other day. And I thought, hmm, value added definition and non value added definition. And the first thing that sprang into my mind was how fast those steps are overlooked in the planning process, right? I think that's a universal business challenge for sure. It certainly is. And, and first off, thanks for having me back. I'm glad I didn't uh, wear out my welcome last time. I appreciate a, another opportunity to redeem myself. So hopefully I can offer folks something of value today. Um, yeah, value-added, non-value-added are generic terms people throw around a lot, but they the technical term comes out of the Lean Six Sigma body of knowledge. If you heard people talk about being a green belt, yellow belt, black belt, that's all Lean Six Sigma jargon. And the technical definition of value added is when you bring, a, like in, in the countertop business, we bring a raw material in, we do some things to transform it, and we turn it into a finished countertop that gets installed in somebody's kitchen or bath. And the value added is that physical transformation. And what's interesting about that is you think about, okay, you know, sewing and routing and doing fabrication install, those are all pretty common value added steps. But if you want to do some serious process improvement, drill down a little deeper. The real technical definition of value added is that physical transformation. And on something like a saw, for example, the only value added time for the saw is the time that the blade is in the stone. Any kind of setup time, load, unload, clean, all that, those are things that are necessary, but they're not part of that physical transformation. And when you, if you've heard me or other folks talk about throughput dollars, sales price minus material cost, what that does is it quantifies the value added. And so if you think about it, the customer is paying us to, for that blade to be in that stone, transforming that stone closer to being a finished countertop. And so one way to improve processes is to just go out and spend time looking at what's going on with your machines, looking at what your people are doing in the shop. And, and just track how much time is spent doing true value-added work versus non-value-added. And it doesn't mean you can get rid of all the non-value-added. Sometimes you can get rid of it. That's the ideal thing. But in cases like load and unload, how can you do it quicker? Because you can increase the amount of time that uh, the saw blade spends in the stone. And if you're in a situation where you have more work than you can get done, you need more production capacity, 
this is the quickest, simplest, easiest way to free up production capacity. And this is capacity you're already paying for. Kill the non-value added time. Yep. <laughs> I love that. That is, um, like I said, I think it's so easy to jump over that first hurdle and dive in. Now, tell me about this guy, your friend, Tim Woods. <laughs> Tim Woods. Oh, yeah. That's the guy. You want to find him? You want to get a big stick, cattle prod, bull whip, whatever you got handy, you want to run him out. Tim Woods is, uh, is an acronym for the typical categories of non-value added uh, activities that you'll see in any business. Um, the, the T is transportation. That's moving things from the saw to the router, for example. Um, the I is uh, inventory. That's, that's product that is sitting on a cart, but it's not moving. Not, not going anywhere. It's just, that's money sitting still. Um, M is motion waste. That's uh, people picking up and moving things themselves, positioning products on a table. Um, and then W is waiting. Uh, that's a machine waiting on an order, an employee waiting on answers to questions on an order. Um, and then, of course, inventory that's sitting still is, is waiting as well. It's waiting on the next step. Uh, the two O's, one is overproduction. That means that we made more than we needed. And if you've got inventory sitting on carts in a shop, and, and large shops tend to have more of this than, than smaller shops, then that is overproduction. You've made more than technically is needed for the next operation. So things are sitting there. And if you keep in mind that, you know, we're not making fine wine or cheese or even good bourbon that all gets better with age, it's not getting any better sitting there. It can only get worse. The other O is over-processing, and that's the example I use in this industry is the quality of finish on an edge that you would need for a $100,000 kitchen is totally different than what you would need for, say, a big box store. And so if you've got somebody who's doing a touch-up hand polish, they're working to that $100,000 standard, but it's a top that goes to the big box store, that's over-processing. It's doing more than you need to do. Um, and then the D is uh, obvious defects. Anytime you have a defect, those are pretty self-explanatory. And the S is not really a waste so much as it's safety because in everything we do, we, we always, always want to be safe. And so if you, if you need some help with this on the website, I've got some free downloads you can have that walk through Tim Woods, give you some more examples. And there's even a spreadsheet where you can go in and do some calculations and start to figure out just how much capacity that you're already paying for. Could you free up and get use of? So if your name's Tim Woods, I'm going to apologize up front and, uh, <laughs> and just say that, uh, you know, this Tim Woods guy, how do you find him? Where do you find him? What's the best way to find him? Great way. A simple way to do it is if you've got the option, you know, some shops have got like a mezzanine level, something that's up off the floor, maybe uh, offices that are up there upstairs. It, it's great just to stand up there and stop and look. Uh, an old trick from uh, my days as an industrial engineer in textiles. Um, what we would do is, is just, we want to see, okay, so how well are we utilizing the equipment that we've got? We'd stop in a spot and just look around at the machines and count out of 10 machines, how many are running? Well, if we've got four machines that actually have blade and stone time, for example, we're using 40% of our capacity. Everything else is being not, is non-value added. So you can do that by, finding a high perch and looking at your shop. You can do that in smaller shops, easily just walking through the shop, stop on the, on the plant floor 
and just count the machines and count the people. Look at your, your hand polish, your hand fab people, who's got a tool on the stone, uh, you know, making an actual transformation. And of course, a lot of shops these days have got video cameras. You can do that too. And video cameras are great because if you've got a, a timestamp on them, you can do some fast forwarding and actually do some calculations. And that can be really helpful. What do you think is the biggest blinders that you see uh, that inhibit, you know, a, a shop owner or a manager seeing those Tim Wood spots? I call it uh, what I refer to as kind of the furniture syndrome. Uh, you just, you get so used to this is how things are done. Uh, it, it's like, you know, if you walk in the front door of your house, and I say this to guys a lot, you know, because a wife tends to be the one that rearranges the furniture. I'm being a little stereotypical here. But if you walk in your house and, and there's a chair kind of near the front door and you're just kind of used to walking around it because that's how somebody else wanted that room laid out and you kind of get used to it. But then you ask one of your buddies over or a family member over who hadn't been there in months, so they walk in the front door and they run into the chair because they're not used to working around it. So it's kind of stopping and taking that fresh look, kind of get out of that furniture syndrome because we're so used to seeing it every day. It's kind of like, well, this is just how it is. And reality is it can be different. And uh, that's where I think uh, our buddy Tim Woods can be helpful because if you take that list and I've got a, a printout that you can use and just take that and go out on the shop floor and say, okay, let's just find all the examples of transportation waste that we can find and just kind of make a list of those and then figure out, okay, where do we have opportunity to change this? Uh, and again, if you need additional capacity out of your shop, if you're one of these shops that's still running just wide open with long lead times and a strong backlog, this type of work will start paying for itself very, very quickly. How often do you revisit and evaluate your Tim Woods guide, do you think? If you're serious about improving your process, it should be part of what you do every day. Um, there's there's something I talk about called a management rhythm, things that you do every hour, things that you do every every day, every week, every month. And I think uh, if, if you need to free up capacity in your shop, if you need more capacity, then this is something that needs to be a daily approach for you as an owner. And it also needs to be something that your, your managers are doing, not just your production managers, but it's great to pull a, a salesperson or a sales manager out of the front office, give them Tim Woods and have them walk through, see what they can find, because they don't have furniture disease about the shop floor. They're not out there every day. So it's a fresh set of eyes. Uh, so I think that's, that's really worth doing. And I think that also kind of helps drive your culture in that direction as well. Sounds like a habit of a highly effective shop. Habits, consistency, rhythms. Um, you know, I, I've done work in, in this industry and others and literally have been in several hundred manufacturing plants around the country. And one of the things I've found is that they all have their own unique culture. And what I've finally figured out, I, I'm, I'm a country boy. It takes me a little while sometimes, a little slow on the, on the uptake, but culture I found is driven by the values of the person at the top of the organization. And the reason I think that's true is that those values are what drive your actions hour to hour, day to day, week to week. And your actions are what people see. So if you want to drive your culture toward being more focused on getting rid of waste, improving processes, reducing non-value added, 
then go out and take the actions that we're talking about to help drive that culture. People see you doing that, they'll realize that, okay, it's, it's important to Ed, Nancy, whoever the owner is, so I better start paying attention too. I think that's so true. And, you know, oftentimes uh, you hear after, after seeing that leader do the thing, then the others will step up and adopt the change, right? And and the buy-in happens um, just organically without you know having to to say so. I love that part. And and it depends on how critical the issue is for you. You know, if you need more capacity now, it needs to be a bigger issue. I had a I had a, a company call uh, last week, a decent, pretty good size uh, fabricator, over ten million dollars a year, and they were they wanted some help trying to figure out how to get their quality where it needed to be. It was impacting bottom line, impacting customer satisfaction, everything, obviously. And he said, you know, what do I do? I said, well, what are you doing now? Well, we've got our Sawyer who is, he's responsible for checking all of our jobs, making sure they're right. Obviously that wasn't working. I said, so, okay, what is, I'm talking to the owner, what is your role in ensuring that you have good quality? And he didn't quite follow the question. So I asked it a couple of different ways. And finally I said, okay, if you want to start to drive a quality culture, a quality focused culture in your business. Every time you go on the shop floor, you better have a tape measure on your belt. Stop and start measuring pieces. Pull up the paperwork, pull up the display on, on the monitor, whatever you've got that shows you, get your speed label, whatever it is, and pull your documentation and start checking parts. Every time you go out there, check at least one part, preferably two or three. You really want to drive it home because it's a really critical issue, which it was for them. Then take the last 15 minutes of every day, pull everybody together, go over to where your A-frames are staged for tomorrow's installs, pick an A-frame at random, tear it apart, take the entire job off the A-frame, every piece, have the whole team inspect every aspect, edge profile, finishes, returns, all the details, and then put it back together and score it. Figure out a scoring system that works for you and post that score every day so everybody can see it. And that kind of action will just drive a change in culture. People will know you're serious about it. I love it. Well, I'm excited to see you at Coverings and hear more. Um, great ideas. And I think you're talking also about turbulent times, which all of these efficiencies really come to play. You want to speak and touch on turbulent times a little bit? Certainly. Yeah, I appreciate you helping set up the opportunity at coverings. It's it's I always like getting, you know, give me a give me an audience and a stage and a microphone. And I'm, I'm there, man, I'm good to go. So <laughs> I appreciate that opportunity. Um, what we're going to get into there really kind of ties into the process improvement aspect as well. You know, if you're going to improve processes, then you need a good yardstick. How do you know if you're making a difference or not? And what I want to spend a lot of time talking about is, is a lot of the metrics that are really key for not just improving processes, but driving your business. The, the leading indicators on a national and regional level, those economic indicators, the leading indicators for your business, you know, quotes are leading indicators for orders, but what are your leading indicators for quotes? And how do you track all that? And then how do you manage things day to day so that as you make changes in your business, as you improve processes, uh, make all these adjustments, how do you know what the impact is right now today? You know, we're recording this mid-April mid without having to wait till this time next month in May to get my P&L for April 
to find out if we did a good job or not. I want to know today, did we win the day yesterday or not? And if so, by how much, or if not, by how much. I can remember what I did yesterday. I can't remember what I did in March to make the P&L that I just now got for last month look good or bad. So we'll talk a lot about those types of metrics and how to use them and how you can leverage that to make your business more resilient during you know economic times that are kind of uncertain right now. It's a little bit like exercise, you know, every day, if you do the thing that adds up, right? So it sounds so similar. Um, again, back to the whole habit conversation and um, Ed, just thank you so much for all that you do for our industry and your contributions and um, being here today. And you know that I will always uh, happily give you the microphone is, you know, it's not my favorite thing. You can hardly stand the sound of my own voice, right? So I appreciate that and uh, appreciate you very much. And uh, check us out at Coverings. If you're not going to be there, um, come to come to Anaheim and check us out there on May 10th and 11th. Um, and then also, uh, if, if all else fails and you've listened to this podcast, you're not going to be at Coverings, you're not going to join us at Anaheim, check out our next... Um, Countertops and Architectural Surfaces Magazine, Q2. That'll be in your mailboxes uh, sometime around the first, second week of May. Uh, but Ed has a really great article. Uh, what what do you what what your what did Sarah Piper get you to write this time, Ed? <laughs> well, we we've got to thinking about all the money that people are spending on technology and especially these really expensive machines on the shop floor. Walking a lot of shops that are just doing a basic job of preventive maintenance. Preventive maintenance or PM for shorts, not enough. There's something called total productive maintenance that has preventive maintenance, predictive maintenance, and autonomous maintenance as part of it. And the article walks through the, the highlights of what that looks like and has some, some photographs and some other graphics to kind of help you understand that better. It's a, it comes out of the Lean Six Sigma body of knowledge. And it's a really good thing to look at if you're investing hundreds of thousands of dollars in equipment. You want to make sure it's there to there for you when you need it. That sounds like a must read to me. So Thank thanks you. again, Ed. Well, everybody, we'll see you at Coverings or in Anaheim. And if not, I hope you read the, uh, the next edition of Countertops and Architectural Surfaces. And thanks again, Ed. Have a great day. Thanks, Nancy. I appreciate it as always. Thanks for listening. To hear more in-depth viewpoints, gain actionable insights and powerful tools to help you succeed, Subscribe to the Behind the Surface podcast presented by the International Surface Fabricators Association. To learn more about ISFA, visit our website at www.isfanow.org.